Hey, it's Coming In Without Context, episode three. Welcome back, everyone. I'm joined today by Javier. Say hello. Hey. And Hope Stallsteimer. You didn't tell me to say hello. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Today, we will be discussing a topic uh, led by Javier, and Hope will Mm -hmm. depart to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. All right. You can <laughs> <Still>. go. <laughs> okay, she's gone. So, let me tell you about something that happened the other day. Actually, it was yesterday. So right now, I'm in one of those periods that everybody experiences called a uh, block or whatever. Block? Writer's block? Writer's block? Artist block, some people call it, where you don't necessarily have no ideas, but you hate everything <laughs> you can think of. You know, you just really can't put that pen down to paper, put your mind expressed through whatever it is that you're trying to do, whatever medium it is. <laughs> so I went to the Met to try to solve that problem. Wow. Yeah. The Met is, well, I'm sure you know it. It's that museum, huge museum of art. So I walked around, I took a look and couldn't help but feel guilty when I got bored. Mm. Who am I to be someone who enjoys producing and thinking about how art is made in all the different forms, why would I be the one to get bored of all the people in this situation? And as I looked around me, what I saw was people around nodding to themselves, almost seeming to convince themselves that this art, oh, this was made by Van Gogh. This is a Monet. People say it's good. It's famous. Therefore, it must be good. I should enjoy it. That's what high culture is. And I almost seemed to worry, am I falling into that too? And I started to wonder, bottom line, what makes art good? That's the tagline. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going to discuss. Yeah, okay. So what, what makes art good? What are the qualities that make art good? Oh, oh my, my Javier. You have opened a can of worms. I that thought is, I <laughs> That is a whole... A whole field of philosophy. Oh, yeah. Philosophy of aesthetics and beauty. Talk about it. Even Um, just a little bit. Perhaps the surface. Okay. So, yeah. We we will only be scratching the surface because I have no no education or prior training in this field. Where do I? Um, So, okay. I guess, guess, so first, let's let's talk about the term beauty, right? Is that, would you say that art is beautiful? So that's interesting. Traditionally, a lot of people have thought of art as a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. The word for art in Japanese, bijutsu, literally has the character for beautiful and like craft or art. Right. So the art, sorry, the word for art itself seems to suggest that it's a beautiful object. In English, though, the word for art doesn't really have that same background. Mm -hmm. But regardless, maybe it seems that in the modern times, there has been a push for like resisting the idea that art has to be beautiful. Like in the modern art or the kinds of things that you see at MoMA, which end up the Museum of Modern Art, which end up leaving you more confused than anything. Do you think art has to be beautiful? I think the answer is no. Although that being said, I feel like, and this is where it gets really vague, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like art should inspire some kind of reaction and or emotion. Mm. And this is a very fine line because when I say reaction, I don't mean like YouTube clickbait 
video where it's a prank and they're they're just shouting it's just some white guy shouting it's a prank bro it's a prank when it was clearly like assault or something you know like uh, that's that's not the reaction oh, man this is so hard because it's also super subjective right it is fair enough i think like you said this is a huge topic and there's so many questions that could be talked about for hours and hours but it's okay if we just skim on the top of some of these that you're kind of th- making me think about what really counts as art a prank video most people wouldn't think about as art. Although some people might. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a hardcore fan would be like, this is art. Pure art. Pure art. A lot of things that we see in the museum, for example, and that's another question that I actually had written down. Well, first of all, a lot of the things that you see in the museum maybe weren't intended to be art. Mm-hmm. They could just be like religious objects or furniture. Those kinds of things that some people call crap. Right. There are many kinds of art. You could, it could be in the form of, you know, a painting that someone formally made purely for the purpose of making art. Or it could be, you know, Twitter fan art. <laughs> There's nothing right. that can provide a lot of value to people too. And so I want to ask, what do you think is some of the differences that you find between viewing like form, formal art in a gallery setting versus what you might see in everyday life? And maybe it is prank videos. You know, my thinking is that Maybe there's maybe something to do with the setting, like you're like you're getting at. Um, maybe it is. Well, I guess w- one definition you could go with is that you designate certain people, like connoisseurs or artists, and they become the jury, right? Hmm. And they're the ones who decide. Oh, this is what counts, mm-hmm. and we're gonna put this up, and other people will look at it. And but even if they think otherwise we've already decided we've already established that this is what it is right mm-hmm. i feel like that's one plausible definition or one you know, one pathway i suppose yeah i can see that happening historically i don't know too much about about art history i'm going to be completely honest but the idea of schools of art that come up in specific styles that people try to aspire to some elites that have gotten together or maybe it just happened and decided what are the traits that make art Good, exactly like you're saying. That could come into conflict with what the individual person, what moves that person. Because when I said that some of the things in the gallery were not very inspiring to me, that's not to say that nothing is inspiring to me. I have, you know, little things around my desk that are really meaningful to me. Either they're little drawings that my friends gave me or specific people who I respect and it's really what makes those valuable to me is not just the visual appearance, which is pretty much what you get when you go see it in a gallery. But to me, what's very important is kind of the context around it, both who I am appreciating this and who made it, how it was made. And maybe that's kind of why I felt a little bit you know, uninspired because I was lacking many of the things that make me believe art is good. Hope, what's your favorite artwork? Oh, great question, actually. Um, So it's a painting by Hieronymus Bosch. It's hanging up in my room, a print of it, not the real thing. You stole Um, it. (laughs) Yeah, I stole it. It's actually in a museum in Spain that I aspire to go to. Um, And this was a Northern Renaissance painter. Uh, He was kind of wacky. And he believed that the current world was incredibly sinful. And so the painting in itself um, 
has three panels. And on the first panel is like Adam and Eve and mm. Garden of Eden. In the second panel, it's a bunch of people indulging in like, like momentary delights. Like there's a lot of images of like peaches. And I mean, there's people having sex in the painting just first <laughs> off. Like it's all about like the sin of the world. And then in the third panel, I mean, the man really stretched his imagination and he tried to depict hell as something chaotic and that's something that's hard to imagine and grasp. And like these monsters are all weird and everything's distorted. And I just I really love the painting because every time I look at it, I see something new and I don't even like I'm not Christian. Like, I don't believe in the message that the painting was trying to portray of like these momentary like delights these momentary like moments of sin will like cause you to go to hell I just love how he depicted like everything like how his imagination in showing like hell and things like that was really interesting and he definitely had a thing for butts that's all I have to say (laughs) just as a footnote uh the painting is called the garden of earthly delights and actually I don't know if your copy has this but if you fold the panel inwards on the cover on the exterior it shows a sphere almost like a snow globe uh representing the world on the third day of creation yeah and it's it's really interesting like a lot of the symbols in it were the same symbols that are in a lot of christian art um like because there were symbols that like if you were a medieval peasant you knew these symbols like you knew what this fruit stood for what this fish stood for like they were just standardized knowledge and like if you're an art historian you probably know it when looking at like early art um in christianity because most art was christian at the time but like he also used like contemporary things so like for us like a peach in an an emoji of like a peach we all know what that means right Mm -hmm. and so he used symbolism that was just common symbolism that wasn't even christian symbolism to further portray a lot of his ideas in the paintings. really interesting I like art. (laughs) Good, good. That brings up a really great question about the, essentially I want to push also at the context, specifically context meaning who is the person viewing the art and also when and what are their experiences? You mentioned the different symbolisms that maybe would have been understood at the time or that you can still understand today. People talk about the hidden puns and jokes in Shakespeare that or things that maybe would make total sense, these illusions, if you were reading it in whatever, 1600. But the type, the time that you approach this does matter, but also the stage of your life. You might read a book and it doesn't do too much, but then you read it at a time when you really need it and your view of it would be completely changed. So I wonder what you all think about the context of you, of the viewer in appreciating or saying what is making this art be valuable to you. I definitely think part of it is certainly what you personally value. Like we were saying um, earlier with the subjectiveness of, of beauty, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe one person considers something to be beautiful, considers it to be artwork, whereas another person does not. And maybe like you're saying, it's simply just a matter of age or other demographic features I'm, I'm reluctant to say, like, I feel like there, there must be something. There must be something that is objectively art, right? Good, good thing to crack away at. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say, 
when you view art, obviously it's, it's very subjective in how you view it. Um, and a lot of times it's just based on the emotions that you feel in viewing it. And sometimes that means no emotion at all. Um, and like placing yourself as the person standing in front of it and trying to like grasp what the artist means. But I mean, if the artist isn't there right next to you, a lot of the times that just means what do you, what do you think is meant by that? And I know even I read a book and I was in like a book club with friends and we all read the, um, the alchemist. And there was a character I really liked in the book. And I, I, in my head created this like whole characterization of him that no one else shared in the book. And they all viewed him in a completely different sense. And I mean, just part of that is just everything you do in life, you come into with your own set of ideas and beliefs. And so uh, th there's no art piece or book that you can approach objectively because you're always going to be approaching it with your own experiences. Because um, even like I I'd go to like English classes or something like that. And my one friend, I mean, every time she'd comment on a book, it was like she was pouring her own experience into her. It was really obvious to see. Um, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Then to continue on that, so I really agree with you on that. There is a traditional idea that we like to see displays of real, someone who's basically a master at what they're doing. That could be seeing this beautifully painted Sistine Chapel or reading a book that has the most amazing imagery and delicious use of language, which maybe is what you're saying, Dylan. The hope that maybe we can find some sort of display of skill or an objective measure somewhere in the art and use that to characterize if it's good, which comes into conflict with a lot of these paintings, which are just like a big red rectangle. Huh, yeah. And it's kind of infuriating if you're being completely honest to see that kind of thing. Just to comment, the Sistine Chapel, he was not a painter at all. The Sistine Chapel is the first thing he ever painted. He was really? a sculptor. I didn't even know. Yeah, as you go through and look at the, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, you can see his own evolution as a painter. It took him a month to do the first panel and it was crowded with all these characters and things like that. And he had to put constant like marks to like show his progress. And as you get to the final panel, I think it took him three days or something like that. And he learned how the viewer from down below sees it and he made it less crowded. There were less characters. It was more clear what he was trying to show. So, I mean, even in that, he wasn't a master at painting. He was a skilled sculptor. Someone made him, like, told the Pope to commission him to paint the Sistine Chapel because he wanted to see him fail. And then he didn't because he was very skilled. But wow. in, in that sense, I mean, that's a journey of itself. And, I mean, looking at the red square of, on the painting, they made that for themselves, not for us. I mean, there's been a large movement in modern art in that a lot of the journey of what you're painting is what matters, less so the outcome, less so what's actually portrayed to the public. So in that it's more of like a personal production of art. And it's, if you become famous off of it, like then, wow, you're lucky. But like, I don't know, like it's, I think a lot of it's all subjective. Even the red square was someone's own idea, just pouring themselves and going through the journey of painting the red square. And just because we don't see the, the value in it. Yeah, <laughs> my own ramblings. Speaking on that, um, how do you define art, right? And I feel like what Hope is getting at is that is that there's um, one definition of art that's about expression, right? It's about what 
the artist, what the creator is trying to convey to an audience, right? Or to the, the perceiver. Um, the other two are mimesis, but it's like, it's like the replication of something real, right? Like if you paint a portrait, um, that's, you're, you're mimicking what is real. And then the last one is formalism, which is just about the arrangement of lines, colors, shapes, and other aesthetic elements. If I may, I might take this in a completely different direction because I had this thought earlier. Sure. So we were discussing um, what art could mean. And art in English, at least, is such a very broad term, right? Because there's also usage in phrases like the art of war, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's not a physical object or sculpture, right? It's more of a methodology, what do you do? You guys consider that art, like in terms of what we take the word to mean, or what we're discussing? I I think in the art of war, uh, not that I subscribe to this belief, but I think they're trying to say that like there's beauty and expression within war. Uh, I personally, but I feel like that's what they they're trying to portray that it's something that's grand and observable, and that like there's expression within it. I don't know if that's necessary. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I see what you're saying about the usage of the word there. I really like that point from earlier, Hope, that you were talking about the process of the art, because that's exactly what matters to me, too. And that's kind of why I was a little bit, actually, you don't know this story. <laughs> this was from earlier. Um, I was talking about how I felt like some pieces in a gallery that I went to really stood out to me, while some were honestly boring, and I felt guilty about it. But I was just talking earlier about how the setting of the gallery, maybe sometimes you don't get the chance to talk with the person who made this and hear the thought process and all the trials and tribulations, because it isn't easy to make any of these things that are out there. When people say, oh, I could have made that. Maybe, but you also didn't make it. And you didn't go through the same process that this person did, even if it is a red rectangle. And I think it's also okay if I don't necessarily like the piece, that's okay. I can still appreciate the process that goes into it, this person and what they're trying to do, or maybe if it was unintentional. I think even this isn't necessarily like modern, modern art, like red rectangles, but with cubism, <laughs> the whole idea was um, masters who had already figured out how to paint people in a more realistic way, deciding to break it down and become more childlike. Like you can have the skill level, but still want to reach for something new and different and kind of break down what you already created that's interesting because it almost seems like a part of the art a part of its value is the history right the experience that the artist went through or to create it right yes like maybe would we value something less if we thought there wasn't as much effort put into it like perhaps you could think of an example where like oh there is just the red uh, red circle is it a circle or a rectangle <laughs> it was just a <laughs> yeah whatever a red yeah, a red know. shape geometric shape on mm -hmm. a on a white canvas and maybe someone spent uh <laughs> five minutes putting that together right and or at versus someone else or maybe an alternate reality where it took decades for them to come up with that design but but on the other end of that if the person if the viewer doesn't know the experience, doesn't know the story, they, they're probably not going to perceive the value as equivalent. All right, Hope, what are we talking about? <laughs> um, what makes good art? 
ding 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 that's exactly what it is <laughs> that was a very smooth transition too i think you went right into it it was a very self-contained topic mm-hmm. so javier tell us about your artistic process um i've seen a lot of your your uh, creations on on your instagram the struggle is that i think it's really easy to get into a cycle of it's just fun and easy to like learn about new techniques and new things and try them out try out everything and once you get into the process of something whatever it is carving something anything you can sort of zone out and not even think too much so that's kind of the roadblock that i'm at i just feel like i have no good ideas and i have to come to terms with that like what i want things to make like what what meaning is there in this like what's the next direction how do i i don't know <laughs> I think a lot of times there's a push to make sure your work has meaning, but it, it doesn't need to. You can just create something and have it be pretty and cute and just leave mm. it at that. Like, I, I, I don't know. I feel like I have that. I create, I write poems sometimes. And I feel like whenever I write a poem, like there's always supposed to be like a hidden meaning, but sometimes you can just write about flowers and just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> That's reassuring. I feel like if you force meaning onto something, it's not as valuable as if it just happened. Right, right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you prepare this topic like before today or like between <laughs> uh, different, the other ones? It was just now at the beginning of this meeting. Yeah. But, but it was something that I was thinking about for the past week. And I still haven't totally figured out my thoughts on this. But it's good to talk it out and hear perspectives. Yeah, I really appreciate it. What else did I have on this list? Oh, there's that, that, that Dada urinal thing. Have you seen it? Yes, the fountain. The fountain, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of hilarious. That was going to make an appearance, but instead we got red rectangle. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> lots and lots of thoughts about this. As Dylan said a while ago, it's a huge topic. Could go in many directions, many different ways of thinking about this. But I think we got a good overview of the topic, many different ideas about it. Overall, it was good. So thank you. Thank you, Javier, for hosting this episode. And so with that, we'll see you next week. Coming in without context. Thank you and have a great night. Bye-bye.